Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. It is NFL Draft Weekend in New York. All kinds of things to talk about NFL-related with Charles. Big trade this week between the Chiefs and the Falcons. We'll talk about that as well. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Daryl Morey. He is the general manager of the Houston Rockets. I had a chance to attend the Portland Trailblazers-Houston Rockets Game 2 of their playoff series this week in Portland. Sat down for a one-on-one with Daryl Morey, one of the brightest young minds in all of the NBA. You'll hear that conversation coming up in Segment 4. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by the esteemed Nathan Roach. Uh, Nathan, uh, we had a tough week. The passing of Jim Warsaw, 61 years of age. He had battled Parkinson's for a long time. And if you followed this show for the last few years, you know that the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon is one of our key partners. And uh, I've known Jim Warsaw for a number of years and just a, a bright mind, a class act. Really a good man, and it's a it's a big loss for the sports business industry. Well, yeah, and the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center is is such a great establishment here in Oregon and nationally, for that matter. They do such a great job, and that's why they're a partner of Sports Business Radio. It's very sad. Well, 1993, the Warsaw Center launched, and really they were the first sports business school in the country to launch, and it was mostly because of the vision of Jim Warsaw. So the passing of Jim Warsaw this week, age 61, he will be missed. Uh, Good conversations coming up in the show. Charles Robinson, like I said, NFL draft. Uh, Salary cap is different this year. We're looking at about $127 million on the salary cap. One of the things that I don't understand about the NFL, they don't have a rookie cap. So if you look at whoever's the number one pick this weekend, they're probably going to get about a $40 million signing bonus. Compare that to the NBA. LeBron James can be the number one pick, and he's looking at a cap first contract about twelve or fifteen million dollars. So the rookies get paid more than the veterans. Well, yeah, and that's why in the NBA it's so important. You hang in there for a couple of years, show what you can do, and then you go after your big bonus. In the NFL, it's a little bit different. All right, lots of headlines coming up next. If you've got an extra $25 million laying around, I got a good place for you to put it. I'll tell you where that is next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, it's NFL draft time in New York being held this weekend. And Nathan, you know, the NFL draft has become so popular that it gets better ratings then the NBA playoffs, at least the early stages of the NBA playoffs, it's really become a happening for NFL fans. That shocks me because I don't feel the same way about the draft. It's, it just seems so long. It seems like it goes on forever. I love the NBA draft. Obviously, Major League Baseball doesn't really have a draft the same way. But the NFL draft, sure, the first couple, the first round at least I'll watch. But after that, it just seems to go on for days. Well, you can find lots and lots of coverage on ESPN and on the NFL Network. Always interesting to compare and contrast the coverage between those two networks and see you know, who gets the scoops. Adam Schefter last year was money for the NFL Network. So you know, we'll see who has the better coverage, who has the better scoops. One interesting note. Usually every year we see shoe deals galore before the draft. Well, according to the Sports Business Journal this week, there's not one athlete that has signed a shoe deal in advance of the draft this weekend. So it just goes to show you how tight the money is with companies like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. They're not paying the big bucks that they used to to sign some of these rookies to a shoe deal. All right, our next headline, we talk about a poor economy This was a very scary week for Major League Baseball. If you remember, before the season started, Commissioner Bud Selig put out a memo to the teams and said, you should expect attendance drop-offs quite uh, possibly as high as 20%. Well, let me give you some numbers from this week. In D.C., Tim Limke with the Washington Post notes that the Nationals drew a paid attendance of 12,473 for Monday night's game against the Braves at National Park. Tuesday night in Cleveland, 11,408 attended the Royals-Indians game. That's the smallest crowd in the 16-year history of Progressive Field in Cleveland. Wednesday night in San Francisco, the Giants drew the smallest crowd in the 10-year history of AT&T Park. The Pittsburgh Pirates saw two games this week that rank among the lowest ever at their their ballpark. And then this is the really scary news if you're a New York Yankees owner or someone involved with the financials for the Yankees. They have not sold out the legend suite. And if you watch the games on TV and you look behind home plate, those seats are empty. People cannot afford the $2,500 per seat. So what it's like, I, I read someone say this week, it's like a moat. So you've got the field, and then all the most expensive seats are empty, and then you've got the you know the fans who can pay for the less expensive tickets. Well, and that's how you know where the economy is really at. You talk about some of these other teams, the Nationals, the Giants, low attendance. Okay, I get that. But the staples, the go-tos that you always talk about, Boston, Chicago, and New York. It always seems like no matter what the economy is like, those are the stadiums that are selling out. They have the following. The fans are there. But like we see with Yankee Stadium, those seats are overpriced to begin with, but the economy is definitely contributing to that. It's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, you talk about supply and demand. Well, uh, the demand is not there for those seats right now. Well, and what's ridiculous about this is 
is if the Yankees were smart, I would think that they'd at least move people down or lower their prices so it looks like they're filled in. The last thing you want on national television is for seats to be empty that close to the field. Well, it's funny you mention that. The New Jersey Nets do uh, a promotion called The Price is Right. So basically, if you come into their arena and there's a bunch of empties down towards the court, they play, come on down, The Price is Right, and people come down and sit in those lower seats because, look, I used to work for the Blazers, and I had the authority as someone running the game that night to move people down. The worst thing the NBA and the teams usually want is for the courtside seats to be empty because it looks really bad on TV. So even if you have to move people down, you put them in the places where the cameras are looking. They're not doing that at Yankee Stadium, and it looks really bad on TV, and it makes it look like there's not demand for Yankees tickets. So eventually, I think the Yankees, either they're going to have to eat a lot of empty seats or they're going to have to lower their prices. Well, hopefully they'll lower their prices because the prices that are charging for those seats are ridiculous. All right, our next headline. Prospective Cubs owner Tom Ricketts reportedly is offering private investors a stake in the team as he works to finance his $900 million acquisition from the Tribune Company. This is according to Crane's Chicago Business. Now, sources indicated that Ricketts is trying to raise at least $100 million through the sale of preferred stock to wealthy individuals. His plan is to find 5 to 10 investors willing to put up $25 million apiece. Now, here's the catch, and this is what's interesting. If you put down the $25 million, it uh, gets you basically front row seats at Wrigley Field, opportunities to hobnob with players, and a place on the advisory board. Then after a 15-year period, the individuals would get their original investment back without sharing in any appreciation in the value of the franchise over that period. Nathan, this is basically for the guy that just wants to say, hey, I'm a minority owner in the team because if you own the team, your main return on investment is the appreciation and value over the years. So if you're going to sit on this for 15 years and you're not going to get any return on your investment, you better have a good time bragging to your friends about the $25 million you just spent. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I was excited about Tom Ricketts coming in. I'm a Cubs fan. But this, to me, is one of the dumbest things. And even if you have $25 million lying around, is hanging out and rubbing elbows with a couple of Chicago Cubs and having front row seats to the games worth 25 And being on the advisory board? I what? want a lot more say than just being yeah. on the advisory Ricketts board. Ricketts isn't going to listen to a word that you've said on the advisory board. He'll say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll think about that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if in this economy especially if they get someone to step up and pay that. All right, our last headline of the week. The All England Club this week unveiled the new retractable roof at center court that will lead to the biggest scheduling shakeup in Wimbledon's 132-year history. We may see some night matches. And, you know, this roof, interesting enough, it's a 5,200-square-meter roof. It's retractable, and it takes 10 minutes to fully cover the court and I guess another 20 minutes to allow airflow systems to reduce condensation and recreate an outdoor atmosphere. Basically, Nathan... They've had a lot of rainouts at Wimbledon in the last several years that cost them money. They've got to issue refunds. Now with this retractable roof, at least on center court, they'll still be able to play the matches, and they can play evening matches. And if you watch the U.S. Open, some of the most thrilling matches take place late at night. You've got the rowdy New Yorkers staying around until 2 in the morning. I don't think that plays at Wimbledon, 
but at least you're not having to refund money and eat the money and and have rain out. Well, I'm on the fence on this one, Brian. I work Wimbledon for five years for NBC, and I love the feel of the All England Club. It's old. It's traditional. It's a little bit stuffy. It's never going to have the same feel as the U.S. Open, but there's something just not right about them redoing center court with a retractable dome. I mean, it's such a great historic court, and I'm going to have to see it to see what it's like. One last note, Wimbledon champions are getting a big increase in prize money. Uh, Men's and women's champions went up 13.3%, up to $1.24 million. This was announced on Tuesday, but the pound's weak exchange rate means that the translation is a reduction in dollars of 17% from last year's $1.49 million. So if you can figure out the... uh, the equivalency of pounds and dollars, good luck to you. All right, coming up next, Charles Robinson. He's the NFL reporter for YahooSports.com. We're going to talk about this weekend's NFL draft in New York. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's a friend of the show's. He's the NFL reporter for yahoosports.com. Charles, thanks for joining us on this NFL Draft weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Charles, heading into the NFL Draft this weekend, uh, in your mind, what are the top, oh, two or three storylines? Well, I, I think... You know, obviously, number one um, is is going to be up in the air. I, I think you know the Detroit Lions continue to um, you know get, negotiate with Matthew Stafford. I mean, I think ultimately it's come down to Matthew Stafford and and Wake Forest linebacker Aaron Curry for them. It's all going to be about dollars and cents. And ultimately, I think you're going to see the Lions are going to get it done with Stafford. So, uh, you know, Stafford being the number one pick, uh, that panning out, I think will probably be. Uh, obviously a big storyline, I think, potential trades. I mean, there are going to be a lot of guys who still continue to float around there on the market. Anquan Bolden's a name who's going to be in play. Uh, you're going to have Braylon Edwards from the Cleveland Browns, even, possibly even Sean uh, Rogers from the Cleveland Browns, Brady Quinn. Uh, so I, I think potential veteran trades for draft picks could uh, develop into a big story. And then ultimately, I think everyone's wondering, who's the team that's going to move up? You know, what's the team that's going to make the the big move up for uh, a guy guy like Mark Sanchez? And I I think that's going to end up being the Washington Redskins. That's really the team I would concentrate on. Uh, They were very heavily involved, obviously, in the talks for Jay Cutler. 
Uh, no doubt in my mind at this point that, that owner Daniel Snyder would like to see an upgrade over Jason Campbell. I think Jason Campbell's time has, has come to an end in Washington. So ultimately it's going to be about can Washington get into the position that it wants to get into to select Mark Sanchez? Will any other teams try to jockey with them um, you know, to try and get ahead of Washington if they do attempt to move up? And ultimately, where does a guy like Jason Campbell end up? Because there's a very real possibility that Washington could be a team that moves up but does not include Campbell in a package like that, and then they'll turn around and deal him to another quarterback-needy team. Let's talk about Mark Sanchez for a minute. Uh, he had really solid workouts, and he's looked good uh, prior to the draft. What's your take on him? I mean, you know, you've got Carson Palmer, who has been a pretty solid NFL quarterback, who also went to USC. You have Matt Leinart in Arizona, who hasn't really looked like he did at USC. Where Where's Mark Sanchez going to fit in? Well, I, I think a lot of people believe that had Sanchez stayed, you know, in college, he could have been potentially the number one pick in the draft next year. I mean, that's how... Uh, good that teams feel about his skill set. I mean, he's a guy who's got size. Um, you know, you're not talking about elite six four size, but I mean, he's 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 over six two. He's big enough. He's got the arm strength. Um, you know, he has a very very uh, a, a good set of intangibles. When you want to talk about leadership, you want to talk about um, you know the the chemistry that you have in your locker room. He's a guy that fits in very well with say a Carson Palmer, who can be the leader of your team. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of teams wanted to see one extra season of, of Mark Sanchez as a, as a starter. He does not have the body of work that a guy like, you know, uh, obviously Matthew Stafford coming out of Georgia who has 39 games under his belt in college. You know, Mark Sanchez simply doesn't have that. But ultimately those workouts, I think people were happy enough with what they saw in those workouts, uh, felt very good when they got down to game planning with him about where he was at, you know, mentally, and that he was going to be able to absorb an offense pretty quickly. I still don't think he's going to be a guy who you see play a great deal next season, particularly in the first half of next season. But, you know, I think most teams feel down the line, you know, 2010, that's going to be their starter, whoever selects him. I'm joined by Charles Robinson. He's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Read his stuff at yahoosports.com. Charles, I... Uh, I, I've had this question for you for a while, and I can't figure this out. I remember back in the day in the NBA, there was no rookie cap. So you'd see right. a Larry Johnson or some big rookie coming into the league, and they'd get 80 to $100 million. With signing bonuses becoming as big as they are and looking at someone like a Matthew Stafford possibly getting a $40 million signing bonus or more, doesn't it seem a little odd? I mean, in any other walk of life, you've got to prove yourself before you're given that big paycheck. But in the NFL, you're given $40 million up front while some of the veterans who have been around for 5, 10 years don't make nearly that amount. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, they're, they're, that this is the number one reason why the NFL continues to talk about slotting rookie salaries in the first round, creating a real rookie cap because of the money that's out there. I mean, Jake Long last year, you know, signs a deal, becomes, you know, at least on that day, the highest paid offensive lineman in the history of football, and he's got to play a game in the NFL. I mean, that's particularly amongst veterans when you get into locker rooms and you talk to these guys. I mean, that is absolutely absurd when, you know, at least from the viewpoint of a veteran who's been in the, you know, been in the league, earned his dues. And, and I think also, you know, another storyline that you see coming out of it is, Teams really want to move out of the top ten picks right. nowadays because, as you said, I mean the money is so extravagant in the first ten picks. Not a lot of teams want to take uh, the risk that that is going to come with you know doling out that kind of money. Matthew Stafford 
is going to get a contract with you know 35 to 40 million dollars in guaranteed money, an overall package of around 80 million dollars. And you know if this guy bombs, it alters you know your future. It really does. And the money and the expectations at the top of the draft, unless there is someone up there who is absolutely exquisite, and we're really talking about a Mario Williams, a Reggie Bush, you, you know, you want that kind of a draft where you absolutely know one way or another you're going to get a financial return on a player. Most teams would rather just move back, draft in the middle of the first round where the money's uh, far more tolerable, and, and then deal with developing players than hoping to hit it big at the top of the draft because so many of those draft picks fail. Well, and you've got to spread your money out. I mean, you and I have talked about that on this show before with the draft. You've got to spread your money out amongst all your draft picks. Right. I mean, in the NBA, if someone takes LeBron James with the number one pick, you know you're going to be paying him 12 to $15 million because there's a rookie cap. You don't know that in the NFL, and I think it makes the job of an NFL GM even tougher. It definitely does. I mean, the number of draft picks that teams have, um, you know, when you when you talk about salary cap wise, yeah, a lot of teams. A team, a perfect example, a team like the Jets. You know, the Jets were in a lot of salary cap trouble when the season ended. You know, Brett Favre's retirement actually opened up quite a bit of room for them. The bump in the, the overall salary cap number helped them quite a bit. But if Brett Favre was a guy who returned because of all the other escalators that were, um, you know, sitting there on the Jets cap. Uh, even the Washington Redskins were another team that were, you know, would have been in this situation, um, you know, after signing Albert Hainsworth, did not have a great deal of money left. You know, if, if you have a ton of draft picks, you you know, you need the money to sign your pool of draft picks. And, you know, granted, the, the the NFL has an algorithm that works it out for the number of picks and you get a certain, you know, a certain size pool and, you know, you're you're typically able to fit in you know, your number that first year for those draft picks. But, yeah, it does become an issue, particularly with the way teams are spending nowadays. You know, you see a team like Washington dole out a $100 million contract to, to Albert Hainsworth and the amount of guaranteed money that they gave him, $41 million. That's going to impact your, your ability to go out and, and sign a, a large, healthy draft class. Now, luckily for the Redskins, you know, they've dealt a few picks. They don't have a huge class to worry about this year. But maybe for some other teams that end up with, you know, 9, 10, 11 picks, that does become an issue. Charles, the cap seems to move, move around in the NFL all the time, the regular team salary cap. What's the number at this year? It's at $127 million. It was It was initially at $123 million. Uh, however, it got a $4 million bump, which was simply an adjustment um, from the, the collective bargaining agreement. You know, teams did not spend enough above the salary cap floor, so the adjustment was, was to, uh, you know, essentially increase uh, the salary room, and it's 127 for every team, and there are quite a few teams out there that are sitting there with a huge amount of money still remaining under that cap. The Philadelphia Eagles, about 35 to 38 million dollars in money under the cap right now. You got a team like, you know, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who tried repeatedly to make a run in the free agent market, didn't really land any of their big guys. They traded for Kellen Winslow, but even after signing Winslow, you're still talking about the Tampa Bay team that's 35 million dollars under cap. And there's, I'm telling you, there's quite a few teams that are you know in that 20 to 35 million dollar range quite a few and that's only going to mean bad things next year I mean you're going to see an exponential cap increase next year so with a team like the Eagles I mean we've heard uh, Anquan Bolden's name being right. thrown around a lot uh, if they've got all this money wouldn't they seem to be a, a likely destination for uh, Bolden yes absolutely I, th- I think the Eagles if you're talking about you know the wideouts who are out there still in play a Braylon Edwards and Anquan Bolden potentially uh, a Chad Ocho Cinco. I mean, you know, this is still the team that I think is probably the number one destination because they have got 
the, the salary cap room not only to bring them in but to offer them, particularly a guy like Bolden, offer him the big contract that he wants. I know a lot of people are talking about Bolden and saying, wow, a first and a third, that's not a whole heck of a lot to give up for such a tough receiver. Well, it's a first and a third, and you know he's a guy who wants a contract that's going to average around $8 million a season. A lot of teams aren't going to find that palatable, but for a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, like you said, with all that cap room, they can make a heck of a lot of headway. Interesting. Just a few questions left. Uh, Tony Gonzalez traded yeah. this week from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been demanding a trade for the last few years. Finally, uh, Scott Pioli uh, shows him the way out of town. He goes to the Falcons. What do you make of that deal? Fantastic deal. I, I think it's a fantastic deal for both sides. You know, I think Tony really wanted to be on a, a competing team. Um, I, I don't think there was a lot of bad blood between he and Scott Pioli and, and new uh, coach Todd Haley. I mean, he made it clear to them, hey, look, I want to play for a contender. They know that they are in a, in a rebuilding mode, despite the fact that they acquired, you know, Matt Castle. But but you know they've got a lot of work to do, particularly with the defense. And you know there's there's ties there between Scott Pioli, who obviously was in the personnel department of the the New England Patriots, Thomas Dimitrov, who also was in the personnel department of the Patriots before departing to become the general manager of of the Atlanta Falcons. I think it's a win-win situation for both sides. You're talking about a Kansas City team. And 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 a, a guy in uh, Scott Pioli who loves those second round picks really feels like he scores well with those second round picks, and then you, you're talking about a team in the Atlanta Falcons that you stack up, you know Gonzalez with a Roddy White, you stack him up with a Michael Turner, even a guy like Michael Jenkins who developed quite a bit. You know Matt Ryan is going to have a wealth of options next season, and and you know Gonzalez said it. He feels like they're going to be able to contend for a title the next three or four years. That's really what this trade was about. Interesting. Okay, last question. Uh, Since the last time we spoke, the NFL Players Association, they have a new leader replacing the late Gene Upshaw, Demora Smith. And it's no secret that, you know, at some point we're going to see a showdown between the players and the owners and Demora Smith at the table with Roger Goodell. What do you make of Demora Smith uh, for our listeners who aren't that familiar with him? uh, What's your take? Well, very, very smart man. I'll tell you what, for the, for the NFLPA, I think the biggest thing, you know, the most eye-opening thing is this is a, a group of NFL players who went out and selected um, you know, someone to lead them that is you know, not a former NFL player. And that is a huge move away from you know, really the, the Gene Upshaw era. But you know, remarkably uh, smart man, I mean, very, uh, very, very passionate football fan over the years. You, know, you talk to the people... Um, who know Demora Smith well, and they say he is a, a very tough individual in negotiations, but he is also a deal maker, and that's really what you want to hear with the NFL, a guy who is going to be able to work with Roger Goodell, much the same way Gene Upshaw worked with Paul Tagliabue all those years to keep labor peace. That's very important. And, you know, really, Demora Smith stepped out and I think immediately said, hey, look, you know, if we, if we have to, you know, go to an uncapped year, if we cannot get this collective bargaining agreement, the next extension of the collective bargaining agreement worked out, we're willing to do that. And that's sort of what you expect from a guy, uh, you know, who's voted in and, and all the rhetoric. But at the same time, you know, he also indicated, hey, we want to sit down, we want to roll up our sleeves and get to work with the NFL. So it's, it, was, it was a soft little shot that he sent toward the NFL, but also, you know, leaving the door wide open for negotiations. I, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's a, even though it is a departure from the way the NFL PA operated before, I think from the people around DeMora Smith, um, you know, the reputation that he has, I think this probably bodes well for, you know, the season uh, excuse me, the CBA to, to eventually be hammered out between the two sides. 
We've seen the NBA playoffs and specifically Major League Baseball attendance drop, and people don't have the kind of money they had to pay for sports tickets. Is this a concern for the NFL? I mean, you know, we see people laid off at the NFL League office in the last few months. Teams are laying off employees. How's the health financially of these NFL teams and the league as a whole? Well, I, I think we've yet to see it. You know, I still think you know it, it's going to take a year or two. I mean, teams are feeling it now. And interestingly enough, I can remember being um, with the Kansas City Chiefs last year, and they were already talking about you know, hey, we see the whole economic thing coming. You know, we realize there's going to be problems, particularly for a team like us, where you know we count on a lot of people to travel in as a small market team. I think you know you'll start to see some of the problems. I think first with some of the small market teams, and probably not a Kansas City, but you know a team like Jacksonville, I think, you know, New Orleans could be another team that could have some some economic issues. It's clearly something that teams, you know, have to deal with and we've, you know, we saw the rounds of layoffs, literally hundreds and hundreds of NFL employees across the 32 teams. You know, you had you had a, a very massive layoff by Park Avenue, you know, the NFL offices in New York, and that's I think part of it is them girding themselves for the future where, you know, how this whole economic uh, downturn is going to, to blast them in the next couple of years. But I think if you're really going to see it uh, impact teams, it's going to eventually be in free agency, which up until this point, let's be realistic here, we have not seen it hit them in the pocketbooks when it's come to free agency. When a team like Washington still doles out $100 million to a guy like Albert Hainsworth can still dole out a massive contract, um, you know, to to a cornerback in in uh, D'Angelo Hall, they're not being hurt that much. But like I said, give it a year, give it you know two years down the road. I think 2010, 2011, that's really when you're going to see teams start to slash back some of their cutting. Charles, thanks for taking the time to join us. Charles Robinson, NFL reporter, Yahoo. You can go on to yahoosports.com and check out all his great work. Thanks again, Charles. Absolutely. Anytime, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton's serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Earlier this week, after Game 2 of the Portland Trailblazers-Houston Rockets matchup in the NBA playoffs in Portland, Oregon, I had a chance to sit down one-on-one with Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets. I'm here with Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets. Uh, Daryl, thanks for joining me. Congratulations on a really successful year in Houston. Thanks very much, Brian. Um, It's been hard fought by the players and coaching staff. We had a lot of adversity, but they fought through it. 
You know, I look at your roster and I see guys like Vaughn Wafer and Aaron Brooks and just some really scrappy players and some gems that you've uncovered. Uh, without giving away too many secrets, what's some of the key criteria that you look for in a player? Well, you know, we look for hard-playing guys who you know, have a lot of winning qualities that aren't maybe always valued. Um, I think, you know, we're... We've got three-fifths of our payroll committed to Yao and Tracy, so with the rest of the roster, we're, we're really choosing which problems to have. So we've got to have guys who may be a little shorter than everyone wants or maybe guys who, uh, you know, maybe aren't as long as other teams want. So I think, you know, there's – or, you know, have maybe can't shoot free throws like Chuck Hayes, but they win enough in other ways that we're, you know, we're almost choosing what problems – and we got to fit them in that salary cap, which uh, you know is pretty tight. Once you you give, once you have two uh, more than max guys. Aaron Brooks has really come into his own in this series against the Blazers. He's been terrific since he took over for Ray for Alston. But you traded into a position to get him, and I remember a lot of people said, "What is Daryl Morey doing? What does he see in Aaron Brooks?" And look what he's doing now. What did you see in Aaron Brooks that made you think he was going to be a successful NBA player? He was a terrific college player, but a lot of people didn't think he'd be this good at the NBA level. Well, I talked about choosing the problems, and I think Aaron's knock on hand too little, you know, not you know not strong enough to play in the league. And you know, we felt a couple things. One, with the rule changes, you know, it allows a guy like Aaron to play. It used to be a very physical perimeter game. Now the league has opened it up and really wants to show. The quickness of the guys and Aaron's, you know, in the top ten quickest guys in the league, and we felt like those those players you can shoot and and get to the rim uh, are going to be at a premium, and and we also saw him as a big game player who in the Pac-10 every coach was up at night trying to stop, and I mean you even saw at the end of this game I was next to somebody I'm like he's going to hit these because these are the ones he hit at Oregon these full speed ahead shots and. He was easy to tell if he was going to be able to shoot in the league because half of his shots at Oregon were already at the NBA line because he needed the space because of his size. Let's talk about Shane Battier for a moment. Uh, terrific piece in the New York Times, Michael Lewis's piece, talking about what a winner he is. And um, I loved some of your quotes about him. And I guess my question is, you know, Shane Battier, he was with Memphis, and he made them a winner. They haven't been in the playoffs since he left. Why are there not more Shane Battiers in the NBA? Well, I think, again, he's a pretty unique combination of strengths and weaknesses. The cerebral side, he's got to be in the top five of the league. Uh, and then his just his winning qualities, he likes to talk about how he won the most games ever in, in NCAA college history. I think he still has that record. And, uh, you know, he's he's just got a lot of winning qualities. He's someone who, you know, it's usually a cliche coach on the floor, but he really... You know, uh, not only you know shows everyone what to do, but even sometimes architects uh, aspects of the defense, and you know, and he can hit those shots. I do think there are other players who have qualities like him. You got a Bruce Bowen, you know, in San Antonio as being an example. Uh, but I do think Shane combines a lot of different qualities that that help you win. A lot of people thought when Tracy McGrady went down that uh, you know it was going to be really tough for you guys. It looks like you've come together as a team a little bit more. How is this team different without Tracy McGrady? Well, I think, you know, it just clarified things. Uh, Tracy and Yao were our offense. Uh, would be Yao post-ups. 
and Tracy pick and roll, and that, that won us 55 games and got us to a game seven against a great Utah team a few years ago. Uh, and those are the staples of our offense. And when throughout this year, because Tracy was hurt, uh, it was very tough. It, we, we felt like we had a much better chance to win the title with Tracy. So we were, the doctors were saying he'd get better through the year, and we were pushing him out there a little bit because we, we, need, we felt we needed him back. Everyone knew he was hurting, and in some ways, because of how he was hurting, you know, it wasn't optimal for us. Uh, when he went out, it became very clear we were gonna how we we're gonna play. We we're gonna attack with our guards early. We we're gonna if if there's nothing there in transition or early early offense, we're gonna get it to Yao. And if it doesn't work there, we're gonna we're gonna late clock. We're gonna run screen and roll and and try and get something going to the basket with our guard play. So it really clarified how we're gonna play on offense. And because of Tracy's injuries, having a lot of trouble defensively, and now with him out. Uh, we have five guys, you know, very committed to defense. Speaking of committed to defense, you have one of the best defenders in the league, a guy you rolled the dice on, Ron Artest. Maybe you can talk about what he's meant to this team. He stayed out of trouble. He seems like he's energized this year. It is his free agent year. But uh, what has he meant to your team? Well, I think he says his best. He's matured. You know, he's at that spot in his career where he's only worried about winning. He's at that spot of the career where, you know, the other stuff that can distract players in the NBA isn't interesting anymore. You know, and he's just focused on being a teammate and winning. And, you know, he's very excited about where he's at on the team and where he's at in his life. And obviously we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here, you know, having won one in Portland, a very tough building, if it wasn't for Ron and what he's given us. He's a free agent at year's end. You know, you talked earlier about having a lot of payroll committed to Yao and to T-Mac. Can you afford to re-sign Ron Artest? Well, I think we're gonna, we want him. You know, we're at step zero of the negotiation or step one. Uh, he wants to come back and we want him. You know, there's obviously, as you say, some realities in terms of how much we can pay and how much he might want. We, you know, both sides just said, hey, let's work on it after the year. We don't want any distractions. So I think... Uh, you know, we'll work it out. There's a mutual desire. That's step one. And, you know, there's obviously a few steps from there. But, you know, we think it's a good home for him, and uh, hopefully he'll he'll agree. Rick Adelman, wherever he goes, he wins. I remember when he was here in Portland, and, you know, he's just uh, – he was second in Coach of the Year voting. Maybe you can talk about the job that he's done, and especially after Tracy McGrady went down, and he kind of had to change strategies, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, incredible job. Um can't say enough uh he's like he's like the uh, steady ship captain getting us through the getting us through the early uh, typhoon uh in the season you know got us to better waters full speed ahead and you know really you know the guys look up to him nobody knows the game better than him coaching 35 years and i feel like i learned something from him every day so you know we're just we were very fortunate when when we were making, we were looking for a coach that, that Rick was available. Last question. You're a numbers guy. It's well documented. You went to MIT. You're kind of this new breed of, of NBA general manager. Uh, maybe you can talk about your job on a day-in, day-out basis. What tools, again, without giving away too many secrets, are you using to prepare for the upcoming draft, for free agency, and to make your roster better? Well, I'd say... We use new tools, I think, although other teams are smart and uh, using the, a lot of these tools as well. We're just trying to stay ahead and 
I'd say the questions are the same. You're trying to get players who can help you win all under the salary cap. You're trying to forecast how they're going to do into the future. Uh, so the job is the job is really the same. We do probably use these tools a little more than other teams, and we use them on every decision uh, appropriately. We think you know on on decisions where you know any sort of past data or objective evidence isn't going to help you, like maybe drafting a high schooler when you could do that. You know, we, we're we're more traditional when it's when it's a decision like should you go for a two for one where there's thousands upon thousands of repetitions that show you give you guidance of which direction to go, then then we're going, you know, ninety percent, you know, with what the data is telling us. And each decision in between that we're uh, we're trying to use the appropriate amount of the past in a rigorous way plus our own you know judgment now rick adelman's an old school coach have you two gotten together and kind of talked about your new school approach with his old school approach well i feel like i'm learning more uh i think uh what we can help coach with and he's he's very advanced i mean you don't get to coach for 30 years unless you're staying with the latest and all the new trends in the league and and rick's right there with it um you know, what we can help them with mostly is we don't really have answers for them or we might have ideas just like we're an extra assistant coach. But what we can do sometimes that really helps is if they're debating between two strategies and both, you know, maybe both are very reasonable, we, we might be able to give them, and they're leaning a certain way, we might be able to give them some, some past info or data that makes them very confident about the choice they've made. And that confidence can matter because when things get tight, you know, if you're confident in the choice you made, and even if it's not working once or twice, you'll stick with it. But if it was a debate and you're not confident, you might switch to the other, and that might be the wrong choice. Darrell, congratulations on a great uh, season, and good luck in the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be tough. This Blazers team is uh, going to battle us to the end, and hopefully we can keep our, our home court now uh, and uh, finish it off in six because the game, you know, game seven here will be uh, – be very very difficult and i think game five here uh you know will be uh almost uh you know one of those really really tough tough games uh, the fans here are wonderful and you know i'm happy for portland which is a, one of my favorite cities that it's it's back uh, and back to being one of the top nba teams guests appearing during our sports end segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses morton's the steakhouse the best steak anywhere for the mortons nearest you go online to mortons.com You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and some good stuff according to our friend Darren Ravel, the sports business reporter at CNBC. Collegiate Snuggies yeah. are coming soon. Now, you may go, what in the world is a Snuggie? A Snuggie is a blanket with sleeves. So if you're sitting watching TV and you want a blanket, that's not good enough, I guess, anymore. Now you have to have it so you can, like, wear your blanket. So starting this fall, there's 200 schools that are going to offer Snuggies with your team's logo on them for the price of nineteen ninety nine, nineteen ninety five. Oh wow, four cents off. Wow, that's a good so. Deal. Uh, you know, this is interesting. The Snuggy uh, craze has swept the nation, and now you know you're throwing some school logos on them. You'll see them in your campus stores, drug stores. And then you can buy them on TV, too. Well, what's ridiculous is the Snuggie is the craze because it's so funny and, and, and unbelievable. But the irony is, if they come out with the University of Portland Pilots Snuggie, I'm buying one for sure. Well, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, Darren Ravel, give a little plug. He did a documentary called As Seen on TV. It aired this last week, but I think you can go on to Hulu or go on to DarrenRavel.com and check out uh, that documentary. You know, it's just funny. There's so many things that they sell on TV late night, and Darren talked to several of those inventors. And the Snuggie, you know, it's funny. People, like, don't like to admit that they buy stuff on TV late at night, but I have a lot of friends that have come right out and said, look, I'm getting a Snuggie. I've never bought anything on TV, but the Snuggie is going to be my first purchase. And hopefully, for your sake, they have a University of Portland on there. You bet. I doubt it, though. And they won't have Loyola Marymount either. All right, thank yous. On our show this week, Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets. Good to catch up with him. Charles Robinson, the NFL reporter for YahooSports.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. We have a Facebook page, and I'm Twittering. So go to sportsbusinessradio.com, go to the blog, look on the left-hand side of the page, and you will be able to link to follow me on Twitter. You can also become one of our Facebook friends. That list is growing, and it's fun to see the people from around the world that are becoming our Facebook friends and listening to Sports Business Radio. Have a great week. Enjoy the NFL Draft. I'm Brian Berger. For Bobby Corser and Nathan Roach, we'll see you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. 
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.